everyone, and welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you once again for joining me on another trail journey. I've got a great one today. I have got the one, the only boss lady of trail running in Los Angeles County. Uh, she hosts over nine races in LA. Uh, she's competed at an elite level for many years. She's had her fair share of wins and DNFs. So I'm excited to listen into her conversation, her journey, and just to learn a little bit more about her races and how and how trail runners can get into uh, Los Angeles trail running. Please welcome Kira Henniger. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. Thanks for having me, Jeff. What an intro. I'm very humbled. You are way, <laughs> way too kind. <laughs> well, it's as I've told others, I like to do a really good intro because it just seems to go downhill as soon as we start in the conversation. Right. So, <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta put it on a high note first and then, and then we'll see what happens. So by the end of this, you're going to be like, God, get me the hell off of this thing. <laughs> awesome. Great. <laughs> So I've had the pleasure of knowing you for, and I was talking to Jesse about this. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing you since 2010, I believe. I think that's when I first met you at Trenton Rogers place. We were all getting together for, for sushi and you had, uh, you had just started getting Jesse uh, into trail running. And for anybody <laughs> listening in, Jesse Haynes is who I'm discussing and talking about. And I was, Jesse was on the podcast earlier or last year, I guess. So yeah, you and I have, have known each other for a while, but I, unfortunately... I haven't had a chance to really see you lately just because we're so busy, the two of us as, as race directors across the board. So it's kind of nice to have a chance to sit down and chat with you uh, a little bit further and into more detail today. Oh, that's so funny you said that because I feel like some of my closest circle of friends say that to me. Like when it's during my race directing season, you know, you just like don't see anyone and you just go into <laughs> this. I call it, I call it really controlled chaos for yeah. like six months of my life. It's just like, I don't know if I can cuss, but it's just like a shithole of a mess. And then you come out of it and you're like, oh yeah, this is what it's like to have a normal life. Yeah. Well, I, unlike you, I haven't figured that part out yet. I still do races 12 months out of the year. So I'm in that perpetual organized chaos aspect of it. And my wife really loves that, especially during the holiday season. <laughs> so, oh, I <laughs> so I, yeah, I definitely want to talk about uh, your trail races today. Cause you've got some really cool ones up in the LA area, uh, LA County, uh, all together, but I want to give our listeners a little bit more of a background of who you are and how you got into running. Cause some people may not know who Kira Henniger is. So you started running early on. So, and this is early on, I'm talking, you were, you were a runner right from the get go, right? Like in, in grade school and high school. Yeah. So I actually was the only girl on my junior high cross country team. Like in, I was on it for sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And for all three years, I grew up out in Temecula. And at the time it was really small. We had one junior high and one high school. And I was literally the only girl. Um, and I, I loved it. And I, I, 
went from that into um, high school cross country. I ran distance, went to uh, college to run. And then my favorite story to tell is that a year into college, I got pregnant and that ended that. (laughs) (laughs) And my, my 25 year old son is the biggest blessing in my life. And he is my everything. My only child besides Jesse I would say Jesse is my second child. Um, yeah, but yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. Somebody were to film my life for a week, they would just like probably, I mean, their mouth would drop. But, you know, he's the love of my life. But anyways, yeah, so that kind of ended. Um, I can lightly say any sort of running career, like collegiate level. Um, but then I picked up a baby jogger and found like running slower and distance. And that kind of is how yeah. it transitioned me into like, you know, running farther. So as you're running through, you know, doing, doing the high school and college and cross country, are you kind of geared towards more like the road? Are you doing races at this point in time too, outside of uh, some of your college uh, meets and stuff at that? Have you gotten into that aspect yet? So you haven't learned that part of it yet. Okay. Yeah. And in high school, we weren't really allowed. Um, my coach was, so it was not, you know, I mean, you're in high school anyways, and you're so focused on cross country and track and, and I ran distance, but, but no, it wasn't until, um, I was about 21 or a little before that. My son was like, I'd been running with him in the jogger for like a year and just gaining endurance. And and it was like, Oh, I want to run a half marathon and Oh, I want to run a marathon. So it really just stemmed from, from that because pushing a jogger, you run slower. And I really found my true love of running and running longer. And it, it was just simply that. And so I did like run my first marathon a long time ago. And, um, yeah, so that's how I got into like wanting to run longer. Yeah. So what, what transitioned you over to the trail side of things? Were you familiar with a lot of the trails? Cause you're Temecula. Temecula's got some really great uh, trail systems out there. Did you, you know, when you got done with college or when you left college, were you in Temecula area and, and able to get into that? Or were you in LA? Um, so I've never lived in LA and sorry for my LA folks, but, um, that I, I put on races in LA, but I have never lived in LA, nor will I ever live in LA. Um, yeah, you're an orange County girl, I think, right? I live in South orange County. Yeah. Um, I've been in South orange County, um, since I was 20 years old. Um, but growing up, I grew up, um, kind of out in the sticks in Temecula, we were more like in the Wildemar area. Okay. And I lived right near the Tanaha open space area. Okay. Um, so as a, as a child, like we played and rode our bikes and I lived on a street with all boys and we had this club and we were like, th- we used to ride our Huffy bikes and like BMX bikes. And I was the only girl in the club and we were pretty aggressive. Um, and we would, we would set up like races and track meets and running things too. And then bike events. And we would go into the wilderness and pack our thermoses with water and backpacks with like lunches. And I literally spent my entire childhood playing outside chasing boys. Um, and I mean that not like chasing them, but trying to keep up, keep up with them. Um, and I really think that transition for me when I was training for marathons, um, my son and I moved to Laguna Niguel and he was in kindergarten and there was trails all around that's in, in South Orange County. And there's a lot of trails. So I just started running trails cause they were prettier. Um, and, and it, I, I really think it ignited that passion for me 
from being, you know, being on trails my whole childhood. Cause you ran, like I said, you ran at an elite level for a while. How far into you getting on the trails and, and wanting to be out there a little bit more long running longer distances. Cause we're talking, we're not talking short distances. We're talking 50 K's and 50 miles you were doing the ultra stuff. So how far along were you into the trail stuff that you finally picked up on the elite category and started getting a little bit more recognition as far as, Oh my God, we're, this is actually something that I'm, I'm, I'm great at. And I, I I'm getting a chance to travel and do other events, you know, in other parts of the country. Like how far along was that journey into it? Oh, that's a really good question. So I've said often that I, I was like the accidental elite athlete and I never really (laughs) fully considered myself like elite. I think that I was really fast locally, um, but it was accidental because I loved running so much and I would go outside and just run every day for hours. I dropped my son off at school and just go run. Um, And I didn't even know the amount of mileage I was running. And it turns out I was running a crap ton of miles on trail. (laughs) And, um, and when I was out running, I, uh, there, there's a gal named Michelle Barton, who was, um, a stud, you know, as back in the day. And she lived in Laguna Niguel also, she worked at the fleet feet. So I would see her and she was so sweet. I saw her on the trails one time and she was like, you should totally do a 50 K. And this was in 2004, like late 2004. And she told me about a local 50K in our Saddleback Mountains. It was the San Juan Trail 50K that Baz Hawley put on. And so I signed up for it and did it. And that pretty much, I was surprised. I did it. I finished it. I'd done a few marathons and it was hard, but I wasn't last and it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. And being that I didn't wear a Garmin or anything, I was like, wow, I think I'm running farther. All these, <laughs> when I go out for a four or five hour run, I think I'm running farther than I think I am. And so as I trained more and signed up for more races and started to do better, um, I realized that I had a, I don't, I don't, I don't like the word talent, but I just had a natural ability to suffer like better than other people. And especially towards like the back end of the race, when I started doing like 50 milers and hundred milers, I just noticed that after 50 miles, like, I, I mean, my pacers had to be men and like, it was on, like it was, a, I just, it was like a whole different level. And it came naturally to me, like Jesse's paced me before. And it was very natural for me like once I, cause I would always kind of run towards the back. And once I passed the few women that were in front of me, it was like, all right, how many men can we take out? And it was like, I just, and it was like, I became a different person. And so I was really, really good at suffering. And that's what I think, like some of the best ultra runners in the sport, um, and when it comes to mind, someone to me is, um, Sally McRae, because she's, she's such a rad lady, but that girl can suffer. And she, and she got into the sport, like not too long after I did. And she isn't particularly like the fastest woman in the sport. She's probably the fittest, but she's definitely the most mentally tough, like winning Badwater and stuff like that. And so I think that those people in the sport are really the ones that like can kind of crush the longer distance races and and maybe if they're not naturally elite can find a spot for them in the sport and have good races and make a name for themselves because they can just suffer. 
So that's kind of where it came for me. So I, I know that was like the longest answer ever, but I don't, really <laughs> I don't really know if I was ever elite. I was just, I was really disciplined and I loved being outside every day and training my ass off. And then I just could suffer. I like, I loved it. I mean, that's, that's part of it, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, the body build to do an ultra, I, I couldn't, my knees and joints feet couldn't take it at all period. So doing an ultra, I think you get into that mindset of whether it's a 50 K or you're doing a 50 mile or hundred mile, you have to learn how to suffer yeah. as you get in, as you get into those longer miles. I mean, that's just part, I think that's part of the sport. Like you said, like Sally is probably one of the best at it. And she, oh, yeah. under, she understands it. Right. And so it's, so I think as any new trail runner comes our new ultra runner comes in, that's one thing that you should have to learn is like, you're going to have to learn how to suffer through some portion of your training or your race. <laughs> that's, that's all part of it. So what was, what's one of the, uh, most memorable, memorable races you've done or things that you like experienced as a, as a runner yourself. And I, and I'm just going to stick with the running aspect of it, obviously, because you're a race director now, and there's plenty to talk about in that points, but from a trail runner perspective, do you have anything that kind of comes to the top of your head? Like, Oh yeah, this was some of one of the best experiences I've, I've had. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of races and so I will say like generally some of the best experiences I've ever had are the time periods, like leading up to training for a hundred mile race. Cause I feel like we go through day-to-day life and, you know, you don't really remember what you watched on TV Tuesday night, you know, minutes pass, days pass, you know, um, the days are long, but the years fly by. Right. But I can, I can still remember like training blocks and being outside alone, like in the mountains and, you know, for six or seven hours and day after day and the discipline it takes and everything that came about and all the sunrises I saw. And if I'm running two a day, sunsets I saw and pushing through, you know, hard moments and the beauty I saw and the places I've seen that most people will never, ever get to see. So for me, that's what, like, nobody can ever take those away from me. And if I were to like, you know, heaven forbid, but if I were to die tomorrow, I have so many amazing moments that I've had by myself without any noise or anything else, but just being outside. And, and I tend to, um, and I've always been this way. Like I stop and I, if there's sage, I'll pick it and smell it and rosemary and, and I'm a faithful woman. I pray a lot and I try to be in the moment. And so I really legitimately remember a lot of those moments and that's just something that nobody can ever take from me. And, you know, you can't really, like I say, you can't really say that about your Tuesday night binge watching of some show, like who cares, you know? And so for me, that's like the best part. And I have a grip of memories like that. And I can specifically remember like, um, and I've spent like many hours with the love of my life through, through that, which is Jesse, you know, when I was training for AC 100 in 2012, and we did so many training runs together. Um, and we weren't married at the time we'd been dating for a couple of years, but like it bonds you and grows your love. And so those are probably the best moments. And I still have moments like that. I mean, Jesse and I, he's much faster than me these days. And I just run for fun now. I definitely run a lot, but I'm never, 
I'm never pushing it. And, and Mr. Haynes has one year, like, you know, push till you, yes. die. I don't even know. What <laughs> He's a weirdo. Him and Jeff Browning weirdos. Um, anyways, <laughs> but, but if we go long, he'll, he'll go with me he might get ahead a little bit, but we definitely still run together. And I wouldn't trade those moments for anything. Like they're just, they're special. And most people in relationships don't have that. So, you know, I've, I've asked that question a, a number of times to elites, the, uh, you know, weekend warrior, the average Joe, the, the race director, like, and I have never, if I remember right, maybe just one time, uh, but it's very rare. I'll, that's a little bit better. It's very rare that somebody actually comes up with a race experience. Everybody, everybody always, um, says something about it's the wilderness. It's being out in the wilderness, being out there by themselves, experiencing nature. It's the, um, it's the crew the crew aspect, like the people that support you, you know, the, the whole entire experience around the running and racing itself is really what the answer always ends up being. I think that's, it says a lot about the, the trail community and what the mentality is. I think with people that once they get into trail running, that's the understanding of it is you are so far out of the urban mentality or, or for the most part, you're out away from the urban feel. You're out in the wilderness, you're seeing the sunsets and sunrises without any of those buildings around. And it's really cool to always hear people almost say the same, like not same as that thing, but the same category of the experience of trail running. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, some of my other favorite memories, just totally touching on what you just said is the uh, four years that I uh, crew chiefed Jesse into his four top 10 finishes at Western States. Like that was life-changing for me. And I was most certainly not running or pacing him, Um, (laughs) but just to be crewing him and with friends and like the stories we have and the fun in it just, and to see someone at that level, you know, which was a level that I would never, was never at, it would never be at. It was incredible to me. And to see those men, like it just, you know, because when, when you're crewing a person, a male that's in the top 10, the women are complete and utter rock stars, but you don't actually get to see the women. Um, cause the men are just a little, um, for the most part, just a sly hair ahead, which is, which is also a super bummer because I, all I want to do is see the women, but you don't for the most part. Um, but to see like the top five to seven men or, you know, I think Jesse was ninth once, seventh, but anyways, like it's just, it's mind blowing. And to see athletes performing at that level, um, it was life-changing for me and so much fun. And I'll never forget all those memories. Like, man, so cool. So I totally agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, it's all part of the trail community, I think. And that's what makes this community so good, but um, well, let's get into talking about trail races um, and being a race director. Cause this is always, I, like I said, I love talking to other race directors about, about their events and kind of what their experience is from like putting on their race and what they get out of it from, you know, seeing the runners and everything else. So I, but I want to find out, like you kind of took a weird way to get into race directing, if I'm not mistaken, right. You you were at the Leona divide volunteering yeah, or, or, and, and somehow it worked well with that, with that previous group and somehow became the race director the following year. Is that somewhat close to. That's a hundred 
and accurate. It literally fell into my lap. Um, Glenda Kimberly um, was the previous race director. She created the race because her husband, Bob Kimberly, had passed from cancer. And they always used to do this 50 mile route to train for like Western states and AC. Um, and, you know, this was back in like the late 80s. So this is a long time ago. And so it was like she created the race to be in memory of him. And when I came along, um, she was already, I, I want to say, 60 or late 50s. And she was just tired of doing it. They were just doing it as a charity race and putting it on. So I helped her for two years. And then the second year that I helped her, I really took over the reins of being like a volunteer coordinator. And I ended up getting her like 50 volunteers because, you know, I was young and in the new trail community and had a trail running group and they had, they just didn't quite have that. Um, And so she was planning to retire the race. And she said, I'm either going to retire it or you can just take it over and have it. And I was like, what? So it was just like, uh, (laughs) all right. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take the race. Um, That's kind of how it all started for me. Yeah. And at the time, there weren't a lot of, you know, this was 2009. So there weren't a lot of A, races in SoCal and B, not to diss anyone, because I don't think you that's ever a way to live life but not the most well-organized ultra races in SoCal. Yeah. There, there was a few and they were put on by old school people and they will just leave it at that. And so I literally was like, wow, I want to create races that are super well-organized and way better than what everyone else is doing. So yeah. how did you keep the, uh, so it was Leona divide and it was at the, was it the, at the time, was it still, was it still the 100 K 50 mile, 50 K 30 K? No. So Leona divide, it was a 50 mile and then they had spring chicken run, which was a marathon. Got it. And they did the spring chicken run so that anybody, you had to be over the age of 55 and you could, and, and that, and you had all the time that the 50 milers had. So when I took it over and I brought it back, I, I scratched out the spring chicken run, but added a 50 K and a 30 K. Um, the hundred K didn't come on till couple years ago. And so for many years, it was Le- Leona divide 50 mile, 50 K and 30 K. Got it. So then how, uh, how many years did you own and operate that race before you added in anything else? One year, one year. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then how many events did you add in, in that second year? Uh, Ray Miller, Griffith park, Leona Valley trail races, which I no longer have because the fire's burned out that area. And, um, and I think, oh, and Los Pinos 50 K that's right. Good old Los Pinos. Um, (laughs) yeah. So I don't know, four or five I had by the second year. Wow. Okay. So it's roughly around the same trajectory as I did in San Diego here. I had one race 2014 and then I jumped up and I did, I think I did three races the following year. But at that point in time, I already had a bunch of races in Colorado that I was already doing. So it's same roughly trajectory, but I want to know from, I know what, it, I know some of the weird things that went on with me owning a race for the first year. What were some of the things that you had to figure out in that first year at like t- aside, taken away from, from the year that you were volunteering as a volunteer coordinator and everything else, you took over that race what were some of the weirdest things that you had to figure out or what are some of the things that taught you right away? Like, okay, I shouldn't be doing this <laughs> or this worked really well. And this is the way I can start 
pushing my other, pushing some other races? Um, oh man, gosh, I feel like there were so many lessons. Um, but the uh-huh. biggest things for me were learning logistics wise, especially in the ultra distance, like safety, how to be super safe. Um, and like the ways to implement that, like good safety plans, safety sweeps, um, a great ham radio team and all those things took so much effort to put together and lead those people like the learning, the leadership, um, of doing that and communicating. And because for me, I, my biggest concerns when putting on an ultra race from like start to finish is very well organized, that it has a flow, that things come together and that it's safe. And if one thing, the biggest thing that I learned, especially in those early years is it's almost like a, it's, I call it like a chain with all these links. And if two or one or two of the chains at the front end are like unhinged, then everything is like a domino effect. But if you cross your T's and dot your I's and, you know, all the chain, the links to that chain are tight and good, then things are going to come together. And it really took me a while to learn that. And, you know, it, it, meaning like the simplest thing, like if you have a safety sweep, that's not really strong. And I mean, I learned this the hard way and then they're, they take, they fall so far behind the last runners, any of the aid station that's supposed to be closed. They don't actually know if the sweeps have gotten there and if, you know, blah, 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 and all these things. And then, then you have a, that, that, that link in that chain is, and and it's like a domino effect. So it's like crazy, but it's so important. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, what about, uh, my, my biggest thing was permitting. Permitting is, I don't know. I, I, cause I started my races in Colorado, obviously Colorado is where we, we started our doing our stuff, but I learned right away that the permitting, if you're not like on point for permitting, those guys will you know yank your event right away. I, I, I bought my races from a friend of mine. He stayed on for a few years to kind of help transition out of him being the owner to me being the owner. And so for the first year he, he was kind of doing the permits and he would kind of teach me along the way. And one of the events he forgot to submit the permit. We had registration was up. We were like, like, like we had sold probably 300 entries at that point. And we got to like two weeks, two weeks prior to the event. And it was at a, uh, it was at a ski resort and the ski resort calls us up and it was like, Hey, we saw that you were advertising this race, but we don't have anything for you. And we were like, Oh my God. And so he completely spaced out on, on this. He got the, he got the permit for the County to be on the, the County trails at at that, in those, on that trail system, but didn't get the approval or rental or permit from the park, from the uh, ski resort to actually host the event at there. And so we had to reschedule for like two months down the road. It became this. And I learned right then and there, I'm like, okay, the, the moment that permits open up, for a location, I'm putting them in because I don't want to get stuck doing that. So that was my biggest thing that I learned right away. Like, okay, (laughs) I'm not going to take that chance again, uh, with any, any of the events. And I know, I know LA County can be a little bit, uh, stringent or weird when it comes to to their permit situation. So, because we had talked about, I think you told me that they pretty much give you a date and you got to stick with that date. It's that. 
Yeah. And that's kind of across the board. Um, you know, the main reason is because all of these parks have so many different special events going on every weekend. So it could be a wedding. It could be, so they, I, I do have to say, I have a really, really good relationship with every single park and jurisdiction that I put on a race with. So they love my races. Um, they're never trying to get me out of the park. I don't have any of that. I have an incredible support system from every nook and cranny. Um, but they have a lot of events. And so, you know, they know that Sean O'Brien 100K 50 miles always in February. For the most part, it's always Super Bowl weekend. But one year, somebody booked a wedding and the parks were like, we can't have it this weekend. You have to have it the weekend after. And it's the same weekend as black Canyon hundred K. And we're both at the time we were both golden ticket races. And like, so, you know, but at the end of the day, that's the date I get, um, the city of Los Angeles, Griffith park. Um, the only rule of thumb is they never give me a date in March. That's the same weekend as LA marathon. And then they kind of just give me a Saturday and they know that I love, early March, but we've had to have it the last Saturday in March before, cause that's the date they gave me. Um, so they try to work with me, but I'm at the mercy of the parks and it is what it is. Um, January is a really busy month too. And that's, I think we were talking about, um, like the Catalina races and they're such great trail races. And my Sean O'Brien 50 K 30 K is in January. And the only date that's available because Malibu Creek state park has events every weekend in January is like that first Saturday in January, not new year's weekend, but like whenever like the fifth or the eighth. And that's the only date I can get. And that's always on Catalina's weekend. And I feel so bad. Um, but my option is to not have my race. And so, you know, it's tough, but yes, I, I am at the mercy of the parks and permitting for me, it was a hundred percent learning process. Cause I, besides Leona, Um, I created from the ground up every event I have, and they're all different jurisdictions from, you know, open space to city parks, to county parks, to state parks, to even, I go through national park service land, um, for two of my races. And so everybody's different. And I had to learn all of that on my own. And so the first, I would even go as far as saying the first three years for me putting on races was me um, bobbing and weaving and fumbling and figuring it out. And it was so hard, but I think that being a woman has helped me a little bit, um, with all of that, because I'm never, not that, um, my husband is like my hero. I love him so much, but I'm never afraid to call up the parks and be like, look, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I need you to help me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always been okay with that. I've been really pushy about that. Like, Hey, well, back in the day before zoom or anything, can I come up and can I sit in your office? And I don't understand this um, certificate of insurance. I'm so confused. I don't know what you need for me and I don't get it. And so I think that helped me a lot. Like the first two years I really, and I found a lot of mentorship in some of the um, permitting park people, like the permits people, and they were really helpful. And I just asked um, and I learned and I listened. So I don't know, more sensitive and kind of just not afraid to ask for help (laughs) for the most part. I'm not trying to, but you know, so I was like, Hey, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely the relationship aspect. I mean, I've been working with the same park rangers and, and parks and open space people for, you know, 10 years now. And it's great. They know exactly when I'm going to call or put my stuff in. They know, 
they know exactly what I'm going to ask for. So I, I definitely agree with you right there. It's, it's all the relationship building. And that's, that's the other thing that I learned that we, you have to have, um, in the trail running industry is like you, these park rangers are going to take care of you and they're going to tell you like, Hey, sorry, the trails are too muddy. You're going to have to reschedule your van or whatever it is. Right. So have just an open conversation with them. And I, I always tell the park rangers I work with, like, just tell me, be upfront. Like if you think that it's, that it's going to be too muddy, I need to know, you know, ASAP so we can get things rescheduled. And I think that they've always appreciated me just being upfront with them. Like, Hey, you tell me what to do and, and we'll go with yeah. it because you, you want to keep that relationship going. There's been a couple of times when we could have done an event uh, or like the great example is during like the COVID shutdown. Like there was some people doing like trying to squeeze in events at the end of 2020 right here in Southern California. And I called the park rangers up and I was like, could we do this based on some of these? And he's like, well, you could technically, you could do like a, like a bandit race or whatever. And he's like, but it wouldn't sit very well with this. And I was like, all right, fair enough. That's all you had to tell me. Like you, you say no, then I'll, I won't do anything. Right. So I don't want to put that into, into harm's way. Like we had a couple of mountain bike races here in Southern California that or San Diego that decided just to go out and mark the, mark the trails, do the race and not tell the park rangers they were doing it. And that, that in itself almost hurt, uh, any relationship that we had that I had with them because they were like, well, if one race director is going to do it, what's to say a couple more won't. So we're thinking about more restrictions on these. I'm just like, no, like, please don't. <laughs> that would that'd just be brutal. And San Diego's tough, right? I mean, I don't, I don't have any races down there. And I don't also for Orange County because in LA where all my races are, the trails never close for the most part because of weather. So yeah. my races, I, in all the years I've been putting on races, knock on wood, I've never been shut down because it's super rain, like rained or super muddy. We've had to reroute a little, but, um, they don't, they don't close the trails at all. And like we're orange County, if it even slightly drizzles the, the, uh, orange County parks, they close. And I understand, you know, especially once mountain bikers get in there and they tear up the muddy trail. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, so I've never had to deal with that. I've never yeah. had cancel because of that. Yeah. It's I, uh, what was it three years ago now at this point, we had that super wet winter mm-hmm. and it was raining all the time, January, February. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> I think two of our races actually got postponed because of that. And it was just the way some of the, the trails that we use anyway, uh, they, they sit really low in the, in the Valley. So everything just gets washed down into them and they just flood super easy, even with the smallest amount of rain. So when we were having just large amounts of of rain coming in over a two week, three week window, I was like, yep, we're getting rescheduled guaranteed. And a couple of days later, the park rangers called me up and like, yeah, we can't have anybody on the trails. We actually have to close them down. And, but they're, I mean, they're pretty good for the most part, even if it rains slightly, most of the trails are pretty good. There's just one or two locations that we use that are, they sit too far low in the valleys, but Anyway, um, I want to talk about your races. So you've got nine races now. Is that right? Still nine? Uh, 10, including Ten. I, Lake, I acquired Lake Sonoma 100K and 55K last year. So what? So list them out for me. So you've got, uh, what, two Sean O'Briens? 
two Sean O'Briens. Yep. Mm-hmm. Those, they're separate events. I have Ray Miller. I have Paramount Ranch. I have two separate Griffith Park races. I have Monrovia Canyon Trail Runs. I have Lake Sonoma 100K and 55K. So it is nine, including Lake Sonoma. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And Leona did Leona divide. That's it. I don't know if I said that one. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that, yeah, so, so right up there. So what do any of your races, I guess what, what I, biggest question is what should runners expect from your races? Like when they get ready, they sign up, they show up on race day. Do, can they see the same exact setup and system, you know, from, from the start to the finish, as far as how you organize your start and finish line to the trail markings and all that stuff. What can runners uh, experience um, when they come up to LA and and do your races? Um, I definitely have a system that we use for all of the races and I am known for, and I'm a stickler on organization. So for me, I, I, can very proudly say that my races are top notch. Um, and I just, I I think of all the little things and I know how bad it sucks to go to a race and in the morning, you know, you don't know where to park. You're like driving around and it's dark and, um, to, you know, I love sending people like a detailed race guide with the race info, a Google map link and directions to the parking lot, volunteers telling you where to park, you know, ample people doing check-in, um, just super organized like that. And then I also mark all of my race courses myself. And if you get lost at one of my races, I mean, it, it would, you would have to really, really like be trying to make a hard effort to get lost. So, um, I, I put, you know, so signs at the turns and cause I hate getting lost. Mm-hmm. So just things like that. And I really go out of my way to do, um, like Epic aid stations. We have tons of food kind of go above and beyond on that. Yeah. And so for me, it's like just very, very well organized. And I think that that's so important. And it's not something that I ever, I really make an effort not to lack on. And I know that it, it, it's a good system because I mean, I have so many people that tell me, you know, oh, it was so great to not get lost and your aid stations were so great and you know, all the things. So I would agree with you on that. I, I go out and mark all of the trails myself. And it's kind of one of those things where I look at it from a runner perspective and I look at it from a spectator and a race director perspective. <laughs> I'll tell you like some of those big intersections, you got to sit there and look at it. Okay. I'm a runner. I'm coming down and I got to, I'm looking at this angle. Um, am I going to see that sign? Am I going to miss it? Like, how do you, like, how do you perceive the way that's going to be looked at? Right. So I am right there with you as far as making sure that nobody gets lost um, out of course. What kind of aid stations? So you talk about Epic aid stations. Like what do you usually provide at your aid stations? Then? So all of my aid stations have, I'm super big on tons of sweet and salty snacks and we do tons of fruit, watermelon, bananas, oranges. Um, and like lots of, I do all of my aid station shopping at Trader Joe's. So all <laughs> oh, okay. We go, like, I mean, from cookies to the snacks to, and I also offer like gluten-free options. So we have PB and J's and almond butter and, and jelly sandwiches. Cause people have peanut allergies. Um, and then I do, you know, if you need gluten-free bread, you just ask, um, when I say that I really go like all out, I do, I, I really care. Um, not that every race director doesn't, but for me, it's, I just think having a ton of great food options. And I'm also super blessed that goo is a, a spot title sponsor for my races. So 
I'm very lucky that I get tons of goo gels and goo waffles and yeah. goo chomps and not that I'm trying to give goo a plug, but thanks goo. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like when you're running an ultra and they don't have any gels, you're like, Oh my gosh, like what the heck? Um, yeah. yeah. So, so do your, do your half marathon, uh, aid stations match up with, yes. uh, Every- with your 50 K. So, so everybody crosses that same. So your half marathoners, when you have that distance are getting the same, same system as, as your 50 Ks or 50 milers. Yes. Yeah. And, and I just think that it's a crime if you're running a trail, like I would say this cause I, but if you're running a trail half marathon and they just have some cut up oranges and like, I don't know, like some, anyways, I go above and beyond. And I think it's sort of what separates my races and I do it for all my races. Yeah. Now I feel bad. Damn it. Now you made me feel bad. You asked and I'm being I know. I, that's, that's all. I, I, I appreciate being honest. Any of my runners that run my races on a regular basis, do not listen to her. She, no, <laughs> I, I, I supply, I'm, I'm blessed with spring energy. So spring does a really good job in providing a lot of my energy, but I, I guess I just, I, well, the only time I've ever provided like larger snacks and everything else is when my half marathon fits in with my 50 K distance in, in the Lake Hodges area. So I guess I should apologize then maybe to my half marathoners that I don't supply the Epic aid stations like Kira does. Damn it. Uh, well, the one thing I will say with the <laughs> shorter distance races is I don't do as much volume of food because they, there are a lot of them that are, yeah. they'll, they'll finish and they'll be like, what was all that? That's so weird to see all that food. What yeah. like some, and they'll say that to the volunteers, like, what is all this? And they're like, it's an aid station. But a lot <laughs> of my runners that they specifically do my races for that reason. And, um, they love it. And now food is eaten. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's the thing though. Like you said, you always have to look at things to stand out from other events. Right. Yeah. So everybody's, everybody's just trying to get their piece of the puzzle. And, and so that's, that's awesome that you provide that to your runners, uh, from an, another aid station question. Do you, do you do coupless events or how does, yeah. how does your hydration work? It is coupless. Yes. So a hundred percent of my races are, we are completely coupless. I do not do cups at all. And I have, because I have such repeat offenders that do all my races, they're so proud that, you know, they'll always come up at the start and show me, look, I have my little cup and, you know, cause I'll send them links to a few different ones and remind them, Hey, we don't have cups. So here's a few links to some, um, you know, don't forget to get one. Um, Hydroflask makes a great one, whatever, you know, and, um, and they're so proud of that, that they, you know, are contributing. And what's crazy is I didn't used to be cupless and we would have 30 bags of plastic cup trash after the races. And I was like, a, this is horrible for the environment. I'm the worst person in the world and B it's so much trash and so much work. And it really was not a big deal at all. And now everybody just knows we're coupless and that's just how we roll. And I also, because my aid stations are for the most part, we do no contact, meaning the runners open their own packs and bottles. And we kind of started to implement this before COVID just because it's nasty and gross. And we do gallon jugs at the aid station. So I have like five or six volunteers. They each bring eight to 10 gallon you know, jugs and they pour the water, they mix the electrolyte in it. I got rid of the Gatorade tubs because of the bacteria that grows in the spigots and spouts. So I don't do any of that. And it's all delegated. My volunteers bring the water and then we recycle all of the gallon jugs. I have the captains take 
the gallon jugs and recycle it. So we have a good system and it works, especially for the ultras. Cause you go through like, you know, 70 to 80 gallons per aid station. If you have yeah. six aid stations. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so nice not to have to pick cups up anymore. The, the, the worst thing that I, the one thing I hated was when you're sweeping the course, if you were out there sweeping yourself or one of your sweepers is out there and they're having to pick up cups about a half mile from the aid station, it's the worst. You know, we got to a point too. I think we've been coupless now for, uh, since 2018 as well. So it's been about three years. That was like the biggest transition. Like we had to keep some cups, like one or two sleeves at the aid stations until people really got used to it. Like, yes. yes. Right. Uh, so we don't have any, like it's coupless, but if somebody forgets or didn't pay attention to the runner email or whatever it was like, all right, here's your cup. Could you please not, could you please dump it out right here and not, you know, run with it a half mile down the road and, or down the trail and, and toss it into a bush or something. So eventually that kind of came about, but that's one thing that I've, we've looked at too. Like I just hated just, you have those bags of trash and what do you do with them? Like you got to make sure they get into the right recycle bin. Right. And, and you got to you know dispose correctly. And it just, it was just more of a hassle after the event was over with. So I'm like, screw this. I'm just going to do coupless. And we haven't, we haven't turned back. I would never go back to doing cups ever again, even at the finish line. I don't even do cups either. No, we do not at all. And I tell yeah. them that, and I remind them at the start line, don't forget there's no cups at all. So you, you know, we'll fill your packs or bottles at the finish line. Yeah. Uh, and I also don't do this as a little bit off on a different tangent, but I also don't do any alcohol at my races and not that I don't love a good cold IPA heaven knows. And my husband knows it's like my favorite. I stopped doing it. Um, because unfortunately we had a friend get into an accident after a race and, um, and it was, you know, he'd been drinking and volunteering at a race all day and it was in 2017. And I just was like, you know what? I don't want to take on that liability. I don't want to provide yeah. something. So that was a hard transition too, because after from 2017 until even 20, you know, all through 2018, people would be like, where's the beer? And I was like, well, I'm not providing it anymore. And now people, and we say, you know, you like, especially if it's like Malibu Creek state park, like you can bring a beer too and sit at the finish, but you got to bring your own. Um, and I provide a really amazing finish line meal. We do soup and subway sandwiches and tons of snacks, but the beer is not something. So same as you're saying, like it took a little while and now people just know I'm not the race that provides alcohol and, and nobody cares. It didn't, you know, affect anything. So it's interesting. Yeah. We are lucky enough that, uh, athletic brewing company is one of our sponsors and they're a non-alcoholic Oh, nice. beer. Yeah. So they are providing beer for our San Diego races for the rest of the, for the rest of our season. So it's kind of nice. Like to, to your point, that is one of the things that even when, even when we do have regular beer, it's always like, Hey, you get one and that's it. Yeah. Right. And you got to kind of control that a little bit. And our, my volunteers and my food staff have always been really great about doing that, but we need to crank it up another level. The yeah, athletic brewing company came in and, and now sponsored our, our food tent areas. So we don't really, it takes away some of that, that thought process of, okay, I don't want people sneaking four or five years and then get in the car and driving away. So uh, I'm right there with you on, on that. Let's talk terrain. So each, each of your spots is a little bit different. Obviously you got some races out in Malibu and, and like you said, in the, you know, at Griffith park in LA, what are some of the most technical trails you've got? And what are some of the most groomed, maybe easier trails that runners can uh, expect? 
Ooh, okay. So I would say Leona Divide would be the most groomed. It's 98% on the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and it's an out and back. So just some of the like greatest single track running on the PCT. Very, very non-technical. I will say that most of my races are not very technical. Um, it's kind of interesting, but like Sean O'Brien is not technical at all. We run on the backbone and down to Zuma beach and big climbs. Sean O'Brien's not flat, but not technical. That's right? Malibu, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah it's Which surprises the- me that the, that the trails aren't technical out there. No, not at really? all. And then Ray Miller is far from Sean O'Brien. It's, you know, at the most Northern point in Malibu, um, in Point Magoo state park. And there are parts of Ray Miller that are technical going up and down to sandstone peak, but the rest of it, not very technical, not flat, but definitely not technical. And then Griffith park is very hilly, but like double, double track, totally smooth, not a rock in sight. Um, non-technical, like huh. you know, kind of fire roads. Paramount Ranch is almost all single track. It's a loop course though. It's a, it's a 10K loop course. So yeah, I mean, I don't think I really have any races that are technical. Yeah. That's kind of good and kind of bad in a sense, I guess. I don't know. You kind of want some of that, some of that technicality, I guess. I don't know. We, we've actually only got one race too that's technical. So I, I'm not like we've got a ton that are, our Black Mountain race is pretty gnarly and we always have some scrapes and like we had a... We had a runner first, first trail race he's ever done, did our black mountain race this past November, fell down on the rocks, slid his like palm open. Oh, and then he slipped again and dislocated his pinky finger. And luckily he made it up to the eighth station and he bandaged him up. My, he had the guy that he was running with him, put his finger back in and it was like, okay, let's go. I'm ready to roll. And I'm like, good for you, man. If you, (laughs) so yeah, that's the only technical one we've got. Everything else is relatively, relatively quote unquote smooth. Um, as far as our trails go too. So that's cool. Are a lot of your races, you the, the, you said the Paramount one's a a 10 K loop. Do you do a lot? Is it a lot of loop loop trails for you or, or is it more out and back type of courses? Most of my courses are out and back. Paramount is the only course that I have that's a loop course. It's a little long for a 10K, so and I have every distance there. Um, so if you do one loop, it's a 10K. Two loops, it, it does equal a half marathon. I have a 30K, marathon 50K. But then all my other races are out and backs. Leona's most mostly out and back. Uh, Sean O'Brien's out and back. Ray Miller is, Ray Miller's not. Ray Miller's a big giant loop. With a, it's like a lollipop loop because you go up to Sandstone Peak and back down. But it otherwise, it's like 38 miles of a loop. Griffith Park is a loop. It runs all through the whole park. Yeah. So I think Paramount's my only loop-de-loop course. Yeah. Monrovia is out and back. Uh, Lake Sonoma is out and back. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So for anybody looking to go up to do some LA trails, and that's you've got a little bit of a variety of out and back versus loops, uh, which is which is great. I mean, that's, it's kind of tough. What's what, and this is going to lead into my, my next section here. What is, what is your go-to? Would you rather see the out and back course or would you rather do the loop? You, 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 I'll ask you from two different angles. I'll ask you from a race director perspective and I'll ask you from a runner perspective. I don't mind out and backs at all. Um, I kind of like them in a race, not that I race much anymore, but if I were to, I don't mind out and backs because you get to see people, which is super fun. But of all my race courses, Ray Miller is my favorite. 
it's yeah. it's so pretty oh it's it's like ridiculous how pretty it is yeah yeah how much of the uh do you get ocean views i guess on both sean o'brien and ray miller or no yeah, you sure do. So you get on Sean O'Brien, you get ocean views going all the way down Zuma fire road. So for oh, that's about, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's eight miles all the way down to the beach and big chunks of it. Um, so pretty Ray Miller. I mean, you start pretty much down at the ocean and going all the way up the Ray Miller trail and then around Magoo peak trail, big ocean views. And then if you finish in, in the light, it's a hundred percent ocean views going. Oh, that's awesome. Ray Miller trail. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. See just that alone, uh, would make me kind of want to go do a, a trail race up there that in itself, like that takes your mind off of it completely. It gives you another visual, you know, outside of the you know forest and everything else. Like that's why I love doing like a lot like that. That's why I like doing the Catalina events too, is Catalina has got those nice Epic on the backside, um, with some ocean views and stuff too. We don't, we unfortunately don't have any, any ocean views on our, on our course courses kind of sucks, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll take what we got. It's, we got some really great shows ourselves, but yeah, that, that adding in the ocean view is, is second to none. I, I like that gives the runners a little bit different perspective too. All right. So I'm going to do something a little bit different with you that I haven't done with anybody else. As far as my other race director guests, I want to do a speed round. Okay. Right? I, and I oh, want to, <laughs> and I want to, I want just want to get your, get your take on, on a couple of things here. So, and <laughs> some, some, you, some, you might want to take the fifth on some, some, you might want an easy answer. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, course marking ribbons or signs. Both. Both. Why, why, uh, so explain the, explain the ribbon thing to me. Cause I get a little bit worried with the ribbons because if not all of them get, pulled and, and I just feel like I'm leaving something out there on the trail. Like, so how do you, how do you do both ribbons and, and signs? Well, I, you have a lot of people that go out on Sunday to double check if my, um, yeah. So I have, we have such a massive trail running community in LA. So I, I always have people that go out Sunday and, and run different sections and especially like the Pasadena Pacers group and the run with us in Pasadena, the running store, like it's a crazy how many people. So, and they do find ribbons that were missed and, but I have good sweeps. So, oh, I'm a huge believer. I put a, on my courses, I paying a ribbon every quarter to half mile. I don't even, I, I overmark my race courses and at intersections, I put wrong way, left turn, right turn. So both. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I like the wrong, I like the wrong way signs. Those are kind of nice. Do you have a uh, side question? How, how often do you get somebody messing with your uh, course signage? Um, not so much anymore. Um, not that I ever had big problems with it. The only place we had very small problems with it was in Malibu Creek state park, um, like on the top of the fire road. And it was actually some locals by Puerco, uh, fire road that goes down. And it was this lady and the Rangers caught him. She'd anyways. So for the most part, we, I don't have any issues and people are, oh. really, I, I will actually, I want to say I have zero issues. I have put on a race every month since September. We had makeup races, everything. We don't have a single ribbon move and any places that I've ever have ribbon moved, I could count on like my four fingers. And it was like in sections that were easy to access. And it was like a local, but no, we don't. And you'd be surprised. Like you would think Griffith park, the Hollywood sign and no, nobody has ever messed with my ribbons and people are really, that's a one thing about LA. And like, it, it's like a, it's crazy. They're just really cool. I, I don't know. 
All right. You hear that, San Diego? LA people do not mess with signs or ribbons. So yeah. that means you should leave the trail signs and the ribbons alone here in San Diego County as well. <laughs> we, <laughs> we have, uh, there's always down here. There's a couple of race directors here now that, that like, Oh yeah, my 50 K signs got moved to a different trail and somebody got off off course. And I've had, I've had one of my trails goes right behind a high school. Uh, so like I, I have to go mark the course late at night or not late at night, but after kids get out of school. And so that when they're walking through the trail system, get from school to house, they don't pull the signs. That's happened to me multiple years in a row. Uh-huh. So I have to go mark the trail a little bit later in the night, or I have to, uh, I get two early riser, uh, course, uh, marshals to go out there and run the, run the course for me, San Diego County trail users. Listen in here. <laughs> LA does LA people do not mess with signage. So please do not leave those alone. All right. Yeah. Next question. Unisex shirts, gender shirts, poly or tri blend. What do you use? hundred percent gender shirts. And I usually use a blend. Got it. Arch or no arch at your start line, finish line. Um, I've not, I've been doing an arch. My timing company has a small one, but, but it just depends. Like, yeah, I would say yes, but it's a small one. I don't go over the top. Biggest fear on race day. Oh gosh. Um, um, uh, emergency like medical. That's all I really fear. Everything else is going to flow and go whichever way, but someone like, you know, something really bad happening to someone. Aside from that, I'm just going to, my, mine is not waking up. So, really? the, oh God. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know what it is. And I've been doing it for a number of years now. And I, I literally the night before I'll wake up every half hour because I have this, I have this big fear that I am going to miss my alarm. And I set like 10 alarms does hates it. Oh my God. She hates it that she started sleeping in another room because she doesn't like hearing all the alarms go off. But I, I, I am freaked out about not waking up for some reason. That's my biggest fear. Everybody like medical is always, is always a big thing, but that for me personally, that's my biggest fear (laughs) (laughs) because I, because I also have all the equipment, right? Like I haven't, maybe that night I haven't dropped off my trailer. That's got all the equipment. And if I oversleep for God knows why, uh, I've got racers and volunteers and staff showing up and been like, uh, what's going on here? (laughs) Biggest fear right there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, biggest volunteer pet peeve. Oh, and this is not, this is nothing specific to one individual at all. Let's just put it that way. Something that you've seen over the, over the years that maybe has happened consistently that you're just like, God, this should never happen. Like why? Like, or you shouldn't act that way. Is there anything, anything that pops up in your mind? Gosh, am I a jerk? If I just say that there isn't like, I, uh, There really isn't. I mean, for me, my volunteers are my everything. I love them. And I'm not just saying that. So I don't know. I guess I've never thought to even think about that. You know, they're all humans and whatever. And I'm a super, super like it, it takes a real like shit ton of things to like irk me or bother me. I, it's probably one of my best personality traits. Like things just, I don't even think about, I'm like, Oh, nope. I just, Bob and weave. I don't care. So I've never thought about that. And I can't even think of anything that comes to mind. And I'm just being super humble and honest. No, that's awesome. I I mean, (laughs) 
That's I don't amazing. know. I don't. I I honestly don't have anything either. I, like I'm very lucky with the volunteers that we've always had. You know, you're always going to have some that that are later, later no show, and that that's part of the game. That's part of the game, and I you can't really fault them for that. But anybody who's ever shown up to our races has always done a, an amazing job. And thank you to all of the volunteers that support trail running races. We you know, speaking for Kira, like we we love that. Thank you very much. Biggest runner pet peeve. Oh, okay. Well, we can go to town. So, so, so now this is a whole time another episode, actually. So <laughs> you have an hour? Yeah, um, let's do it. <laughs> probably uh, my biggest thing, and that I have that it just really makes me upset is when they're a holes and they treat my volunteers bad. And um, it just happened at my last race. Like this gal was rude to me, and then you know, which I can just. I just looked at her and I was like, sorry, you're not having a good day. And I walk away and I literally don't care. It's I'm like, whatever. Um, but then she turned around. She was so awful and mean to my check-in gal. Who's like my head check-in lady. And so I just, I went over, I said, Hey, you know what? You can leave and not ever come back. Like we have no space for that. I said, you can be mean to me, but that's a volunteer. And the way you just treated her is totally unacceptable. So, you know, let us know what you want to do, but we don't tolerate that. And I, I mean, I was just like, so bombed. Um, and so that would be, and I've seen it a few times and it, man, it makes me so mad. I'm like, how can you be mean to somebody like that's standing there doing check-in at 4 30 AM and like, you know, anyway, so that would be, that would be, um, something that with runners and you do see it. They're just, and you hear stories like when they come into the aid stations and the way they treat people and, um, yeah, it makes me so mad. So, yeah. Uh, what is this? Is my last question for you. What is, uh, one of your best experiences as a race director, whether that be runner communication, you know, or, or seeing, seeing runners come about like things that you've set up, things that you've seen progress over your events. Like what, what's the best thing that you've experienced as a race director? Oh, I love this question. Um, I think it's why I keep doing my job, but because I have shorter distance races, I so many times see people that like will do their first 10 K at, um, at Paramount ranch. And then they'll do their first trail half at Griffith park and seeing them do their first 50 K or 50 mile. And I get people that tell me all the time, like, I don't really have to leave LA. And, you know, I, I did my first half at this race and then I did your 30 K and then I did a couple 50 Ks and then I did a 50 mile and then they'll finish Sean O'Brien hundred K and the, and they'll be there with their family and they'll cry. And they're like, you know, you changed my life. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like it's the most amazing thing ever. And I see that often. And it doesn't mean that they necessarily made it all the way to the hundred K distance, but getting to the ultra distance. And I literally saw them do a few halves of mine and some 30 Ks and 50 Ks and, you know, get to that point. And it's just the most amazing thing ever. I love that. And yeah. Yeah. So that's probably the coolest thing. I agree with that. That is for stories like that. That's the reason why I do what I do. You know, I, I love the connection. Like doing road races versus trail races. I think that's why I do trail races because you get, you have that connection with the runners. You're able to get to know them. You're able to get to see them do multiple races over the course of a you know season or whatever it is. So it's, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. Those type of experiences. Those are the, those are some of the best. Uh, Kira, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, coming on, talking about your races, sharing a little bit of your trail journey. Um, it's been fun for sure. And I, like I said, I love talking to other race directors. I think it's, it's something that I can, you know, relate to and share stories with. So <laughs> it gives me a chance just to 
sit down for about an hour and just <laughs> kind of talk shop with, with somebody else. So thank you very much for, for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored you asked me. All right, that'll do it for their episode of the Trail Life Podcast. Shout out to Kira Henniger for joining me today. Really fun listening in on how she became a race director, what she does for her trail community, how she looks at uh, ways to better her events and better the community as a whole. Um, you know, we share a lot of the same parallel paths as to how we got into the sport. So it's really fun to listen into that. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And again, Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you to Kira one more time. Look forward to our next conversation, guys. And I'll see you out on the trails real soon. Music for the Trail Life Podcast was provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. Matt Meyer.